Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod off-season pre-show. We've got off to a great start with key moments from season four, a few picks from our editor, Steve Ewing, and we're really excited to share a conversation that David had with Riley over on the Board Game Community Show. Yeah, I sat down for another interview with Riley Stock over there. He is an absolutely lovely person and a great interviewer. And uh, yeah, we kind of dove deep. I would say that I was more revealing than I normally am on this show. It's a little bit of a deep dive. It's a little bit longer. But if that is something that sounds like your cup of tea, it's coming right up. I thought it was really entertaining because it was interesting to hear you on the other end of the interview process. And there were a lot of questions about the podcast process itself. And so it was kind of cool to hear you delve into some of the lessons you've learned from podcasting. I thought it was a great episode, um, mostly because you said a lot of very complimentary things about me, which I especially appreciated. I was like, oh, this is a great show. We should release it on. We should release it on the feed. Well, it came from the heart, PG. <laughs> well, I hope this We'll tide you over until season five launches very soon in a couple weeks. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stock. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with a nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. Today I am rejoined by a good friend, someone that I am so excited to have back on, co-host of the Reality Escape Pod podcast. Reality Escape Podcast? uh, Actually don't know. David Spira, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Ryan. How was that introduction? Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, it's just the reality escape pod, but then it has been pointed out to us that not everybody associates the word pod with podcast, and apparently some people don't get that it's a show, which I guess, I don't know, maybe in like 2005, that would be like, oh yeah, sure, we probably should explain that. I don't know. I Anyway, Reality Escape Pod, that's what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> I think when I first heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, like it's kind of like a play on words of like, you know, it because you could be like in an escape room could be an escape pod because you're contained within a certain area and it could be a podcast, you know, so it was like, oh, it's like a play. This is a clever play on words, but <laughs> no. Thank you. This is exactly what we were going for. We also... For the website Room Escape Artist, we were kind of playing off of, you know, Room Escape and Escape Artist. And uh, I have 
come to realize that I can sometimes wordplay myself into confusing people. <laughs> uh, you know what just dawned on me? Actually, uh, this is I'm this is very very distracted side tangent thing. Um, I think is this our first time talking face to face? Uh, I it might be. I don't know if we had cameras when we were recording last time or not. Yeah, you were the one. So obviously listeners can't see, but you were the one to suggest that I do cameras so that I could have like visual cues and kind of that connection with guests. Oh, so I did not remember suggesting that. How's it going for you? So good. It is the ones that don't. It still goes great. You know, I it's still really fun, but it does. It totally connects people. Uh, and I realized that right now where I'm like talking to you and I'm looking at you and listening to you. And it's just amazing. I'm so glad you suggested that. I'm glad it's working out for us. It was sort of a necessity with two hosts and then a guest or two having that cue of this person really wants to speak. Let them speak is really helpful. And then also just kind of being able to see, especially for guests who are a little bit more nervous or uncomfortable, having that uh being able to kind of see when they've settled in and gotten more comfortable, it's really helpful. Do you do any like physical gestures or anything when you're recording? I have one gesture that I use for PG. It's kind of waving my hand downward. She's an amazing co-host. Every once in a while, she gets really excited. She gets louder and she leans into the microphone more closely, which Really, as you're getting louder, you should be pulling away from the microphone. So if she's peeking out, I'll start waving at the camera. <laughs> and then she <laughs> will back off quickly. Because you spent so much time editing, right? Like you knew and recognized those problems. Yes. But we also stumbled into a really great trick. If anyone listening does podcasting with co-hosts, PG started editing our bonus episodes and in editing herself and me and our guest she started to become increasingly aware of the stuff that she was doing that was making editing harder and that greatly increased the rate that she changed the way that she was presenting which was helpful for kind of everyone involved. So if I were to ever start another show with another person, I would make them do some amount of the editing just so that they could experience what it's like to edit themselves. Yeah, 100% true. Like I used to say, uh, and I'm way more than I do right now. And those first, I, I swear, I spent at least an hour for an hour episode just editing out ums and uhs. Same here. I can't remember, it probably was one of the original seasons of Futurama. There were sort of like the mafioso robots and there was the one that like stabbed everybody. And then at some point he gets stabbed and he's like, oh, this is what I've been doing to people. This really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel listening to yourself and editing yourself feels where you're just like, oh, I can't believe I was inflicting this on another human being. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then it's like, you are so conscious of it that you are like, I, one, I don't want to spend as much time editing myself because I already hate listening to myself. Same. Nobody likes the sound of their own voice, right? Same. Wait, 
No, wait, you have to like the sound of your own voice. Come on. <laughs> Truly, no. I have gotten used to it, but I, I had to like, honestly, it was hours of editing myself where I sort of like came to some amount of peace. Also, the fact that other people react well to my voice and every time I'm like, okay, I don't hear it. I'm glad. I'm glad that you find my voice pleasant because I don't find my voice pleasant. And the way it sounds in recording is not the way it sounds in my head. And that's weird. But I have achieved some level of peace with it. I think also cleaning up my speaking patterns and requiring less editing on my part has also helped with that. Yeah. Okay. I mean... I just gush about your voice because it's like you've got that perfect baritone. Like, I think that I could do that if I really focused, you know, like <laughs> maybe have a good somber tone. But like I get so excited talking that I would have a hard time maintaining that voice. And it would probably be way easier for people to listen to. But I, don't I know. mean, I could definitely put on more of a podcasting voice, but I can't maintain it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you you mentioned okay. Whenever I laugh on the podcast, I lean ver- like as far away from the yep. podcast <laughs> from the the mic as I can. Um, so, just a visual thing that I am now realizing, sort of. But again, very conscious because of I've been told I am very loud. I'm told I can laugh very loud, and uh, so I don't want to edit that. I don't want to <laughs> yep. deal with that. I I can relate. Yeah, and your cadence. That's another thing for me. When I first started podcasting, we're going to talk about board games and other stuff that we're nerding out about. But right now we're nerding out about (laughs) podcasting, apparently. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like my cadence was so bad and I would listen to myself and be like, how did anyone ever deal with listening to me just talk normally? Because I would take long pauses mid sentence and like editing. I would spend so much time editing out those silences and gaps that were pointless i was doing the same to be honest especially in the first season i really had to clean up cadence and i had the sort of ideal cadence that when i was speaking well was flowing naturally and then there were this was a problem you know i mentioned the last time i was on that like the vocal training i got was through mock trial and through my coach in high school in particular constantly hassling me to slow down because I had a tendency to speak very quickly. And it would be like, I'd have all of these thoughts and they were like piling up in my brain and they couldn't get out fast enough. And then I would start to trip and stumble over my words. And it was a giant mess. And he pushed me very hard to slow down. I didn't slow down enough. And over the years, I continued to iterate on that. And then in my regular career, kind of tech consulting, a lot of my job is in pitching and in explaining my ideas. And there is sort of a penalty to not speaking clearly and getting your message across well. If you don't do that, you end up having to go back and do rework, not because You actually got it wrong, but because you explained it poorly, they thought you got it wrong, and then they asked for something different, and now everything gets ends up just kind of screwed up. So 
yeah, figuring out how to present ideas more clearly was sort of tied to the career. Mm. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah. I should probably work on that since I, you know, meet with farmers and try and like convince them why they need to use more microbes and go healthier and sustainable farming and all that. But I don't know. We all have things we have to work on. I don't know. I just can't imagine it. I know. (laughs) Like, I have such a hard time focusing on those types of things. But but again, yeah, like editing yourself, right? Like, obviously, I'm capable of doing it. Yep. And you put together a really great show. I always enjoy listening to it. Oh, thanks. I always enjoy listening to yours. And last time we spoke, last, right? You had, you weren't, no. Did you, did you say that you uh, you were going to interview or that you had interviewed Neil Patrick Harris? Or were you, yeah. you, could you not say that you did? No, I had, uh, we'd already interviewed him. I was in the middle of editing. I re-listened to our episode last night. So oh, good. I wouldn't. <laughs> rehash too many things anyway i obsessively research uh including it seems even my own appearances on other people's shows <laughs> um, i would have listened by the way i wrote down the wrong date so that yeah, was my I, or or i wrote down the wrong date one of us was confused but the timing yeah. still worked out yeah anyway we had neil patrick harris on last time he was episode one of season two and uh just an absolute delight Since then, he has come to our in-person escape room and immersive gaming convention, Recon, both virtually and in person. He's just been he's just been an awesome friend, which is weird to say. Yeah, that is so trippy. Uh, So in that in our last episode, did we get to talk about Neil Patrick Harris did or could you not say anything we talked a little bit I mean he he was he he is just he's a very genuine person and he is very present in whatever it is he's doing which is something I really admire and it's something he clearly is like worked at because everywhere he goes people are vying for his attention and he is very good at just like being there with the people he's with doing the thing that he's doing and he makes space for other people like when people come up and they're like i want to take a selfie with you like he frequently does make the time for them but like if he's in the middle of telling a story or if he's in the middle of playing a game he's gonna be like look i'm doing this thing right now come back later setting those boundaries which makes sense yeah yeah he he's he's just just really like the the overarching you know aside from just being funny and and fun which he is both of those things just the if i were to describe him in one word it's just present he's <laughs> really there with you nice i and i part of the reason i was bringing that up is because uh, he introduced you at the convention right he did um yeah we have the a clip of it we have a clip of him doing an imitation of me <laughs> at the opening of recon boston uh, which i didn't know he was going to do and i was definitely not emotionally prepared for yeah he did a, a beautiful intro to the event and then otherwise just was like another person at the show and he was you know asking questions of the speakers during the q a and playing as many games as he could he was conscripting teammates to go and play things with him, which was very funny. 
uh, people who just like were passing by and he was like, we were at a company called Bodeborg and another company called Level 99, both around Boston. And they have these sort of very physically engaging games, physically and mentally engaging games. They're cool venues. And he would like be walking the hallways and he would see people and be like, you look smart and fit. Come with me. You're on my team now. So people were getting conscripted into Neil's team, which I have to imagine was as surreal for them as all of this was for for us. So yeah, he's just a really good time. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we don't have to talk about Neil Patrick Harris the whole time, but I do want to like you're four seasons in now. Uh, You've finished four seasons. We just finished four seasons. We are in pre-production now for season five. We start recording in like two weeks. Season four was a challenging one for us we decided to do a theme for the first time and it was having an escape room creator from a different country every episode which had a lot of time zone challenges had a lot of um it just increased the amount of effort for editing with having a lot of our guests where english isn't their first language and we've gotten very well practiced at like helping people through where like you know they get stuck on a word and you know we help them find the word and then we help them find their place and kind of start over i have so much respect for people who are coming on podcasts in their second or third language because i think you know it's intimidating coming on in your first language yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely i loved this whole i love your whole show all right you know you and pg your dynamic is great you both you know like you very well thought out questions. I People, if you've listened to other interviews with me and David where he's been on, you know, like I, I shower him with this praise because he... And you are too kind. No, no. Like I am underselling it. I cannot, oh, I cannot hype this up enough. Like honestly, the best interviews I've ever heard and other people say the same thing. Like, because you seriously like go through and you research the heck out of people I'm like a crazy person you yeah, like you are stalking <laughs> them professionally is what it feels like <laughs> I, I i very much am every once in a while a guest is like it, it occurs to them just how much research i must have done and then i have to like calm them down like after i finished prepping prepping for this episode like i'm stopping i'm not doing this anymore you're not my hobby <laughs> oh yeah yeah there was one Oh, who was? I can't remember who it was. And maybe you will. But I remember one time them being like, wow, you dug in deep. Like nobody knows ever talks about that type of thing. And it was just like a beautiful moment, like just to show how that you even threw off the the interviewee. I think that that might have been David Spigner from Bodeborg when I asked him about um, um, being a, uh, a high school and college baseball umpire. Oh, maybe I, I could be. I can't remember. But yeah, it's it's I've definitely caught people off guard, which is with my questions, which is my stated goal on episodes where I don't get people to like stop and like have to think about the question before answering. I feel like there's this game that I'm playing. It's sort of a game of solitaire. But if I don't get that effect, I feel like I lost that game. I could understand that. Yeah, like. Part of my thought behind this show was something similar where like when I was interviewing Rob Davio and he has done all of these interviews for board game related things. 
and obviously I'm not researching anything. It's just to be so random that they're like, oh, this has never come up in an interview. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> let's talk about this type of thing. Obviously, it's a very different reaction and for very different reasons. <laughs> Yours Brandon are is good though. Genius. But I mean, the, I think a lot of it is just, especially when you have a lot of these folks who have been on so many podcasts, yeah. they've been interviewed by so many people. They're just on message and they have their stock answers and their stock stories and the things they've said so many times that they don't even have meaning to them anymore. They're just like, they're things you say. And I, I know this because I have been on the other end of that where I talk about escape rooms to journalists and on podcasts and on and at conferences so often. And Lisa and I have these stories that we tell, at least my wife and some of these stories, like we have the parts that we, you know, we have our lines, you know, like we know when to break for other people to go and tell their part of the story. I love breaking people out of that because especially when you're the type of person who doing media is part of your job, it is fun to be forced to think and, or to think about your craft in a different way or to recall something that no one's ever asked you to recall. Like there is something stimulating and rewarding about it. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So analytical. So, uh, I, it's Gene. I love it. And then there's PG who's more like the, uh, the reactionary, right? Like, and, yeah, and grounds things. PG does no homework. The most homework <laughs> that she does is we've now, we've changed our process a little bit beforehand we have her pick out a few questions that she's definitely going to be the one to ask if only to make sure that I don't take over too much because I felt like I was taking over too much. Mm. But yeah, PG's job is to inject some chaos and to add a different energy. And most of the questions she asks tend to be follow-up questions that just like popped into her head or something isn't really clear unless you're an insider and she kind of makes you define things or every once in a while we get a guest on who is like a legitimately cool person using non-geeky definitions of cool she'll bond with them over raves or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah it it's great i the dynamic's so good if you haven't already listened to reality escape pod like i've never even played i've never even gone to a an escape room David and I have talked about this and he keeps, he like has helped me even before we started, we went and we, he found me like a place that was rated well. And so like now I, I have my homework. I'm definitely doing it this time because now I have like a specific place and the room that I need Make to it do. So. so it'll happen. Plus <laughs> we've done like Kimmy was hesitant before. I know this is repeat for you, but um, Go yeah, like, We've done a couple of the hunt a killer boxes, you know, like little escape rooms in a box style things and showing her like what kind of puzzles might be at the escape, you know, at an escape room aren't really that like they're not made to make you feel dumb. No, they're not. They're meant to be solved. And again, I think I said this the last time I was on, but I'll say it again for people who weren't listening is use your hints in escape rooms. Hints are not a mark of shame. They are not failure. Hints are there as a safety rail for the game designer, not for the player. They're there because not everything can be designed to be perfectly clear for every single person. 
And so it's just a mechanic to make sure that everyone can restart the fun. And if you feel that you're not having fun, you've got installed for a few minutes, take a hint. We still do it. I've played, I think I'm approaching 1,100 games. We still take hints. Sometimes it was something really dumb and silly and we just failed to search well. Usually it's a search fail for us. Sometimes a puzzle isn't connecting. Sometimes something is broken and we didn't know it and the game master didn't realize it. And we asked for the hint and they're like, do this thing. And that that that's the thing we're doing. And they're like, are you sure? Do it better. And we, we, we're doing it better. OK, maybe I'll just come in and, you know, bypass, you know, bypass you on that. That's that stuff has happened. Like sometimes it's just, you know, machines don't work 100 percent of the time. It's almost like. If you were playing a, not exactly, this is not a great parallel, but if you were playing a board game and it's like, you can't reference the rules once you've started, right? Like, no, yeah. of course. Like, or, you know, sometimes you're playing a board game and like the deck of cards you got is wrong. It was assembled incorrectly at the, at the factory and you're missing cards or something like that. Like that kind of stuff happens. And, you know, a certain amount of failure in any production process is inevitable and you have to have ways around it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's nerd out. I mean, we've been nerding I mean, out. We've, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's nerd out about board games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll ask this because when uh, I did the end of year episode, I had people send in some like highlights of the year and you were just you had recorded yours just before you got to start Clank Legacy. Yes, I had just started Clank Legacy like the day after. We are, I think, three or four chapters in. Our friend, our friends who came to play with us had to leave suddenly. So we didn't get to play as much as we were planning. But it's a fun and a very interesting game. And I... It's funny because I don't know if we're playing it the way that most people play it. I bet we play it the same. Just from your description, I think I'm we're for about four chapters in too. So okay, let's hear. So we, my my wife Lisa does not like playing competitive games all that much. Um, especially like she enjoys competitive games, but she really doesn't like games where you can kind of screw people over. It's just not in her nature. She really won't do it. It's It makes her uncomfortable. She's very happy playing competitive games where she just builds herself a machine and then her machine is better than everyone else's, which it frequently is. But she doesn't like to play aggressively. So we are playing Clank Legacy in sort of a mostly cooperative fashion where... It's sort of a uh, like an exploration game. And we're trying to make sure we reveal as much of the map and experience as much of the quests and that as many people as possible make it back to the base before, you know, losing to the point where like I took like a whole bunch of heroic actions at the end of one of the rounds to go and make sure that everyone got back in time and I would have won the round if I didn't do that. But because I did this, I, you know, I came in like second or third. We're playing it kind of like mostly cooperatively. And that's been an interesting process. 
that's how we play. But we're only playing two players because okay. it'll be like at a certain point, you know, one of us only has one or two health left or something. And it's like, OK, I, we're not re- we're not, uh, you know, buying cards anymore. Yep. So that yeah, we're same, getting same. the dragons. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we're. Yeah. Or, it's just fun. you know, players who are approaching the base before everyone else will go and start use, generating a lot of clank so that the bag is filled with a lot of their clank before they go into the base. That's smart. Oh, my goodness. I never thought about that. That's a good idea. Yeah. So we're definitely not playing it the way that, like, I think it was fully intended to be played. But we're having a really nice time doing it. I think that's one of the things that's really fascinated me with it is that it's very enjoyable to just go explore. And it almost feels like this is how it should be. We should be combining our scores and seeing like what we are capable of doing together within the confines of the game. Yeah, I, I wish that there was some kind of overarching like, because you are all technically part of one company, but like on paper, you're all trying to kind of undercut each other. Yeah. I wish that there was a little bit more of the aggregate outcome because it definitely feels like a game where you are best served by achieving some kind of a Nash equilibrium where everyone is doing what's best for themselves and the rest of the group versus, you know, a game like pandemic legacy where if you aren't doing what's best for the group at all times you're not doing what's best for yourself which is kind of a different extreme versus like a risk legacy where you're just doing what's best for yourself and screw everyone else yeah that is yeah it's that middle ground right it's that beautiful even even if it leaned more into the co-op thing you could still have right your spotlight associate you know whoever scores the most yeah down for it yeah i i just would enjoy like an expansion or an add-on or a module that let you play that encouraged you to play more in the way that we are whereas right now i feel like we are in some ways fighting against the grain of what the game wants and in other ways it feels like it kind of wants this like i feel like if we were playing i feel like if we were playing especially competitively we would be revealing and experiencing far less of the map than we are. And I feel like I might feel differently if we reach the end and it turns out that like by game seven, we've seen everything, uh, you know, because we, we pushed too far too fast. I don't know if that's going to happen, but yeah, yeah, it, it might, we might run into problems because we're playing this way. I don't know. And that's part of the fun. That is the fun that, yeah, I think that's awesome. I I hadn't even thought about that. Like, wh- what if because we're playing so politely towards each other that it actually like makes the later games either like too easy or uh, doesn't balance it well? It'll be interesting. I have no idea, but yeah, yeah. we're at the same place pretty much. So <laughs> we we also started playing a different legacy game with a different group. Um, so we now have two legacy game groups. We have a major affinity for legacy games. And so we're playing uh, is it Aeons and Legacy of Gravehold, which I believe is the second legacy game of the Aeons End series. Having a very good time playing that as well. 
it's a very different game. It's very different than anything else that we've played, at least in the legacy realm of basically cooperatively trying to destroy giant monsters. So I'm playing my other legacy game that I'm playing through is, is Aeon's End as well, but it's the first one. Oh, Jinx. So, yeah, like, I'm really curious. Have you, did you play the first one? No. Okay. Our friends had already played it. We will probably go play the first one with our regular legacy gaming friends at some point because we're enjoying it. Yeah, it didn't seem like a game my wife would like, but she she has liked it. And same with, like, uh, her sister has liked it a lot, too. I would say it's sort of the same initially it felt very combat heavy for lisa but then she realized it's actually more of a giant optimization problem and kind of building an engine and (laughs) as soon as she realized what that was you know and so now we're both playing as two characters who are basically building an engine together and so i'm sort of in a support role and she's in a do massive amounts of damage roll and um which is a nice little bit of an inversion for the way that we both normally play we're both really enjoying that and uh yeah so that's that's been a really fun experience sort of an unexpected one my criticism of this game is i cannot tell whether the writing is clunky because some whoever's writing it writes in a clunky way, or if it is sort of self-aware and it's and the writing is a joke, because the names are just so ridiculous and hard to keep track of. And there's all of this jargon and all of this, like to me, it feels like excessive. It's just excessive characters and jargon and names and things like that. I think it's intentional. But um, because the second because the game we're playing, the first mission, this isn't really a big spoiler, has you naming enemies and Uh it's sort of encouraging you to come up with ridiculous names. Uh, So I think it's aware of itself. Anyway, I find the story. And I'm usually someone who pays a lot of attention to story. I have never found myself drifting in and out in a game story more than aeon's end and i don't really care because i just i like the gameplay loop and i am you know but yeah that's my my one criticism of it is that i'm not especially invested in anything or anyone but i do like beating up giant monsters that's kind of cool to hear i was wondering because in the first one the big appeal is that you are what are your people called summoners or whatever Uh, something like that again i i am not engaged in the story or the lore yeah. at all. <laughs> Fair. Okay, yeah. So your your character, though, starts out as like a blank slate. And then the legacy aspect, it, a big part of the legacy aspect is building your character and like yep. adding those special abilities and whatnot. The second one completely drops that, right? Like you yep. you don't add to your... Do you change your character at all? You can, change to, you, you can add to and change your character for sure. Um, okay. And there are... Definitely things that are put in for each character. There is, there are more from what, having only heard a little bit about the first game and not having played it, but having played 
like halfway through the second one or maybe a third of the way. I'm not sure how deep we are. I don't know when it ends. It feels like they put more rails on this one and more deliberate synergies into it, which I think depending upon what you're looking for in a gameplay experience may be better or worse. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting because maybe I could see like there were times in the first one where we're building our character and it's like, well, I put this on earlier. And so now I feel like this one would complement mine. But if I did this other one, would it break my character? Like if I don't do those synergies on my own character, will I create like a really bad experience based on that? In the in Legacy of Gravehold, the synergies that you can produce, I think if you aren't striving for them, you're doing it wrong. Because the turns, like the late game turns that we take when we get the machine right are so hilariously explosive. Whereas like a lot of the game, it feels like you're kind of puttering along, you know, sniping little minions, dealing out a little bit of damage and just kind of trying to like manage your resources and hold on while you build up your machine. The first couple of games before we really figured out what we were doing, like, you know, you'd get to a place where you'd feel reasonably powerful and your turns would have meaning and you'd feel good about that. As we figured out how to really play these characters, our turns go so far past that where we're just doing improbable things. And, you know, then, you know, the rules lawyer in me starts to kick in and I'm looking at the synergies and I'm like, wait, no, this means I get to do this and this means you get to do this. And just like stuff is just popping off and it feels really, really good. That's awesome. That's it. That is exciting. That's cool to be able to, you know, feel that way. Cause that's right. Like you're supposed to be like kind of powerful. You're taking on a giant monster, like as the four of them. Yeah. It feels like, you know, very like last act of an, you know, of an anime or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the story feels that way. I know in the first one, like there was, there's some cheesy stuff in there and some over the top stuff. And I was wondering the same thing. There was, there's a couple of parts where you're like, oh brother. Oh (laughs) yeah. I mean, they're just just like, there are times we're popping off and I just feel like screaming (laughs) 9,000. Oh that's great. I have a nerding out thing, uh, sort of, with... I've been playing Parks. Have you played that? I have not played it. It is one of those games that every time I look at it, I say, I feel like I might enjoy that. And then I don't buy it. Yeah, we got it on sale. And that's the only reason I bought it is because I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, well, I think the art's pretty. I've, I've always been interested in trying it, but... That's how I feel. Every what you, what you just said, even like the intonation in your voice is exactly what my internal monologue is every time I look at it. Yeah. And I think on sale, it was worth it. If I bought it full price, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much. Weirdly. And that's sad. Mm-hmm. But like ha- getting it at a discounted rate made me a little more open to like, yeah, OK, let's just see what this is. I have almost entirely stopped buying board games unless they're legacy games because all of my friends buy so many board games (laughs) and every time 
I have anyone over to play or we go over to someone's house, they have a giant stack of stuff that they're like, I really want to play this. And I'm like, well, I have something I want to play too, but you seem like you want to play this more. So like, have at it, you know, plus you already read your rule book and I don't want to read rule books. So like, <laughs> teach me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great position to be in. I'm I would like, love I've, that. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I've like completely given up because I, I, all of my friends, I'm just like, I would like to play some of the games I haven't played that are on my shelf. And they're like, sure, yeah, one day. But here, play this now. <laughs> I feel that way sometimes when I'm because I'm usually the one that brings games. But our, uh, you know, like my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they started getting more into games. And we have game weekends that we'll do. And so they've been buying mm-hmm. games. And so now at family parties, like I was always the one that brought the games. And now they're bringing games. And it's like, which ones do we play? And usually it's like, oh, if you're excited about it, I like to, you know, yep. encourage that. Uh, so if I had friend, if I had friends at all, no, uh, <laughs> I would love to have that be the setup of like, I would buy less games because then I don't yeah. need to, right? Like it's it's pretty great. The other thing is, and the, part of why I, the allure of legacy games to me is, I hate learning and teaching rules and having everyone kind of get on the same page. And I love the commitment that comes from a legacy game where we're all like, all right, we're learning these rules together. We're kind of in this for the long haul together. So we're going to invest the time and make sure we actually really understand this thing. And then the complexity ramps up, but it ramps up in bite-sized increments. So no one's really getting overwhelmed. You're just always sort of like, okay, there's a new mechanic. Let's go and figure out what the implications of this are. And continue going about playing i really really like that i i'm all about just bringing down the amount of time that we are spending that we're burning on rules and learning i was talking to somebody else about how they like to experience games and i'm very similar they described it as a game buffet Like, I love to just participate in the game buffet where I get to try a bunch of different games. But that means I have to learn a lot of games, you know, like and then there's the people who have a shelf that has, you know, 10 games on it and they play those 10 games Mm -hmm. a lot. Like and I just can't fathom that anymore. I'm so like deep into it that it seems weird to not like get a new game and learn a new game. I kind of bounce between both like on a personal level. My favorite kind of personal challenge is sitting at a table where everyone at the table has already played the game that they're teaching me. And can I figure out how to play at their level? Can I figure out how to beat them in my first go? Can I break this system in my head? Can I make the rules work for me? Like that's something I really, really love to do. If I'm at a table of competitive, competent players who want to play that way and aren't going to get sulky and salty but a lot of the times like you know people are not playing at the same level in the same way in the same intensity with the same goals and mentality or it's like you know i'm all about you know play hard play to win you know if there's four people at the table you only have a 25 percent chance of winning so you're probably going to lose and that's like that's part of it and that that, you know don't be whiny (laughs) yeah i agree (laughs) but like not everyone plays that way 
and not everyone likes the intensity. Even if they don't mind losing, they don't like the intensity. They don't like to make moves against people. And like, I, I get that kind of stuff. And then we talked about this last time. Like, I also love diving real deep. I love, you know, I've been playing Magic the Gathering since like 1997, I think. That is just an endless deep end. And I I love that too. So like I I think that there's sort of a breadth and a depth that I can enjoy, but it really depends on who I'm playing with. And like I think I said last time, I like playing magic over the internet because my opponent is faceless and I don't have to care about how they are feeling. You know, whether they're winning or losing, if I'm obliterating them, if I am frustrating them, like I don't have to I don't have to hear it. I don't have to see it. It doesn't affect my friendships. It doesn't affect my life. You know? And so like I can play as competitively or as ludicrously as I want. And like the the my opponent can always concede. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one is forcing you to play this. Yeah. That is a really interesting thing. I've talked about this a lot lately. I feel like it's a recent discovery for me of like the joy of board gaming and, and the reason why there's so many nice people in this community is that we like to sit at a table face to face with people and mm-hmm. you know, like nobody wants to have hurt feelings. You can play a, a game for three hours, 12 hours, you know, and it's one game and there will be one winner and you've invested all that time where, it, and, and there's not, real hard feelings that you'll most of the time, like you don't want that experience. You don't want people no, to hurt. But like, I mean, I have to imagine you've experienced this too, where you're sitting at a table playing a longer game and you can just see one person at this table has completely checked out. Yeah. They, they never gelled with the game and now they're 30 minutes into a three hour game and you can just see in their eyes that they are just like dead inside. And the only reason they're playing is because it's socially unacceptable for them to stop playing. And then they're kind of trapped. They can be a spoiler. They can kind of throw the game for somebody intentionally or unintentionally. They can keep trying to play, even though that there's no chance for them to win and they're not getting any enjoyment out of it. Like I, I find that, that dynamic uncomfortable to be around. I'm hyper aware of it. I tend to be, and this is one of my strengths as a game, as a gamer is I'm hyper aware of who I'm playing with and what it is they're doing and their emotional state. And sometimes if I'm in an actually competitive environment, I will manipulate that, you know, in a casual environment, I won't manipulate that, but I will kind of on an empathetic level, kind of start to feel self-aware if and, and uncomfortable if I'm realizing that they're not enjoying themselves and kind of everyone else is having fun at their expense. And I so like these kinds of things have start have changed my relationship with the board games I buy and the board games that I play. Yeah, that is really fascinating. And it, I I know that I've had those experiences before, you know, like it's it's obvious one person doesn't like it, but should that one person stick it through until the end because three other people are enjoying it? Yeah. Like if it was me, of course I would like, and I would, I would, I would too, but I also would probably find a way to derive some level of enjoyment, even if I was getting wrecked. Yeah. That's when you like start exploring weird options and it's just like, 
oh, hey, that was kind of a fun little weird thing I could do. Yeah, like what are the boundaries of this game and how much can I push upon you know, push upon them without pissing everyone else off? Yeah. <laughs> but like, have you ever played Diplomacy? I haven't. Do you have any desire to play Diplomacy? No, because I've heard bad things about it. I don't know. Maybe I, you'll change that, though. I don't know. I think it may be the most elegant game, the most elegant board game ever made. Whoa. I think that for the amount of game pieces and the amount of rules, which are both minimal, the amount of depth and opportunity created by this game is outstanding. It is a marvel of game design. I think that everyone who is emotionally capable of playing it should play it. At the same time, I will say that like I had heard before playing it all of the rumors about this game being sort of a cursed object that can end relationships or change the way you see people. And I certainly went in being like, you know, win or lose, betrayed or not, like, you know, betrayed or betrayer, whatever it is, I'm going to be me and I'm going to be fine. And like, I'm not going to turn into a salt monster <laughs> and that was true for me it was not true for everyone at the table and some one of my board game friends who i had known for many years did things that like i could not believe like i convinced his son to kind of betray him with me and <laughs> his 16 year old son who was just playing the game and honestly like i made i i I suggested something that was as advantageous for him and his goals as it was for me and my goals. The person who was not benefiting from this was his dad. His dad, who I, I'm not kidding, I probably had been playing board games with him at this point for like five years, just lost his damn mind oh, in like no. a way that I was like, this is sort of a, like on the line of abusive. Like this is this is really like oh no i've never seen you this way and i've come to realize years later i can't see him the same way i had before playing this game so everyone else who was playing like totally fine i don't even remember anyone else's reaction to all of the betrayal that was happening which is kind of how it should be right but yeah i will i can confirm that it can change your perception of the human beings in your life which is an incredible power for a board game with a very lean rule book and very few pieces. But yeah, I think it is, I think it is an incredible, incredible design. Hmm. Maybe I would have to find the right group. I don't think I would you play need it with the right wife. group. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would not play it with Lisa and Lisa is like, oh, you nice. know, she heard about it and she was just like, uh, no, not for <laughs> me. And it's not that like she would have a problem like, she could functionally play the game and she wouldn't get angry with people, but like she wouldn't want to betray people And the game is structurally built so that you have no choice. Yeah. Um, there is no harmonious ending to this game. So, um, yeah, that kind of brings up. So I was having a conversation with somebody and I haven't watched this yet, but traders, the TV show, right? I haven't watched it yet either, but my okay. favorite Survivor player of all times is in it, and I'm 
next week i think we're gonna start watching it okay nice three fields if pg's not on it what pg pg is (laughs) pg is my favorite player from survivor as and 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 one of the most important people in my life but she is not my favorite like from a gameplay standpoint suri fields is uh in my opinion the greatest player to never win okay all right uh so somebody was talking about it and you know like i haven't watched any of it so we're having a very non-spoilery conversation here obviously but it's designed as that like a social experiment where you're going to be doing challenges and doing things and betraying each other and you can be sneaky or you can make allegiances or you can hold to those and what you know like very Mm -hmm. very backstabby and my friend had finished watching it and he was like i just like i cannot fathom being that backhanded being that mean and (laughs) and we're he's a board gamer right like uh phil you've met phil from organized fun i was like saying yeah i can't imagine doing that either and then i started thinking of like pg on uh, your show where you've had other survivors on and they talk about stories of like, oh, yeah, they betrayed me or, oh, they did this and that and hurt my feelings. But then now in the real world, they're just like, yeah, we're friends. Like we we get along. And maybe there's some people. I think there was some people definitely that uh, you don't reconnect there with. After, definitely but. people who push it too far, like PG's capacity for forgiveness is incredible. Nice. <laughs> I will. I will say that, like. She got screwed in her second season by a very particular person. And PG has forgiven this person in ways that, like, I just can't comprehend, especially knowing what happened that isn't on camera. Yeah, and I think we've talked about some of this in some of the bonus episodes and, and things like that. But, like, yeah, her capacity for just, like, forgive and forget we were playing a game is incredible, especially since, like, the game she was playing was also, like, sort of real life. But I wonder, like, how much of that goes into, like, especially nowadays, right? Like, that was earlier Survivor where things were still kind of being figured out on, like, how you play the game. And things, I mean, things are evolving on there anyways. But, yeah, like, with traders, with those, like, you go in and everybody has this kind of agreed upon, we're playing this game to win. Yeah. And so how I act isn't this is competitive me. This isn't real life me. Like this is the game. This is a game that I am participating in. I mean, it's not substantially different from like, I would say, you know, poker is probably played more than any board game that you've ever played or talked about on your show. And, you know, there's money on the line, sometimes large amounts of money on the line. People play that for fun. Yeah. People, play a lot of you know i mean there's a thrill i like i like being able i like being able to play a game in an environment where everyone drops the pretense of who they are in the outside world and they play as creatively and as savagely and as hard as they possibly can i don't find that all that often which is part of what has diminished my enjoyment in competitive games in real life is that like i don't want you know in my in my teens i would have just played as hard as i possibly could under any circumstances because that is what i did and screw your feelings and if you can't handle that i don't want to be your friend 
in my 30s, I don't quite feel that way, but I also simultaneously feel like a little bit of resentment feeling kind of like leashed when I'm playing a competitive game where I like I have these ideas and I'm like, I could do this and this would be really fun for me and this would be no fun for anyone else. And then I make the decision to do the thing that's fun for everyone else and not fun for me. I kind of dislike that. I at that point, I'm like, you know, well, if I'm going to be playing for the larger group's enjoyment, why not just play something that's designed for the larger group's enjoyment? And then my creative, ridiculous idea can get played out and everyone can celebrate it. And I don't have to kind of, you know, muzzle myself. It's sort of finding the game that matches the group instead of trying to match the 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 match the uh change the game to match the group dynamic hmm yeah have you ever played el grande i have not okay so i played that on stream a while back and i really liked it 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 was fun but it is one of those games that's designed to like on your turn uh you are pretty much picking what awful thing you're going to do to somebody or everybody Mm -hmm. and everybody has to make that decision like and so the game i think does that very well where you are going to you're going to be mean to everybody there's no way around that and yeah sometimes you're going to be directing it to somebody but it's not like it's personal when you're doing that even but it does feel personal and so a couple weeks after playing it online uh some friends that we have they wanted to play it and i was like yeah oh yeah i'm familiar with this game i don't think kimmy will love it but she was like yeah i'm i'm down to try it though And it was, these are like fairly new friends. I have never cursed at people so much in my life. Like (laughs) we were at each other's throats and just like yelling profanities at each other and be like, oh, screw you. You know, like family friendly here. Uh, Yeah. Like, yeah. Just like, oh, no, no, don't you dare do that. Don't like if you do that, you know, like you were dead to me. And, you know, it was like two hours of just like us cursing at each other and being like, pissed at each other and then as soon as it was as soon as it was done we had our winners our winner and uh and everybody was able to like just kind of laugh at how angry we were at each other and like yelling at each other and just being mad and it was it was such an interesting cool unique experience that i haven't had playing board games yet uh kimmy did not love it because she doesn't like to get like that aggressive yeah lisa would not love this yeah like she but was like, almost first, so. I, in in my real life as a, as a, as a human being, I, I really try to do right by everyone I can as often as I can. I try to be present and kind and self-aware and aware of other people's feelings. In fiction, in games, I like being the villain. I have, since I was a kid, had a desire to learn forbidden knowledge and you know i i know how to pick locks i'm good with a firearm i'm good with a bow and arrow i learned how to do all sorts of things that i should not know how to do i've never used any of these powers for evil (laughs) (laughs) but like in fictional environments gosh i love i love playing the bad guy i love being lawful evil and being sort of a you know 
sadi- you know, playing a sadistic sociopath. Like I love in a game environment that if I can like if people with the table have identified me as the person to beat, then it's like fine, you know, I'm probably gonna lose. I'm just gonna be a supervillain. If 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 you all have me marked for death, then like I will be the monster that you think I am. I like I enjoy that, but it really does require kind of um, the notion from LARP. We talked about this in on, on, on Repod with Johanna Kolyonin in season three of having an alibi, um, just having this freedom in the game space to go and be the character you're going to be and play the way you're going to play and have it be generally accepted that everyone in the room understands that that's not you the person that's you the player i don't generally feel that freedom at most tables and especially if i'm playing with you know family or first timers and you know yeah anyway i i love being the bad guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's perfect uh i i would love that makes me feel like i would love to get a group It'd be fun to play games with you and some other people where we can just be like off leash, right? Like I would love that. I mean, I, I really, but it, like, I just, I want to be confident that everyone in the room knows that everyone in the room is just going to be a monster. Yeah. I, I'm into that. I think if it's agreed upon and everybody understands it and it's like, you may see me get upset, but don't like, don't let that stop you because that mm-hmm. is part of what's going to happen. And that's what needs to happen. And like, <laughs> I may get yep. a little trash talky and that's going to be okay. Like your feelings won't be hurt by what I say during this two hours. Okay. Like, you know, it, as long as everybody understands that I love, yeah. yeah, I love being able to let go and just, yeah, be a monster. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's just something cathartic and freeing and fun and strangely honest about playing viciously to win with everyone understanding that that is what is happening and that is that is what is normal and then at the end of the game it's handshakes good game good game and next time i can't believe you pulled that you know i i did not see that coming yeah exactly so it's just celebrating the overall experience together because i mean and i think that creates an even truer experience in a lot of ways of people really unleashing and and the battle of wits and the story that's being told just amongst the players and the decisions they're making Mm -hmm. is is a fascinating beautiful thing i think yeah Yeah. i just play the game the way the game is meant to be played yeah yeah exactly do you have other board game related stuff that you're nerding out about i brought up parks but i I don't even it's fine it's a good game now let's move on to your uh, anything else so the last thing I'll bring up, and you may want to have this person on your show because he's oh. a delight. Um, have you ever heard of Will Munn and Arium? No. Okay. So Arium, they're two books. They're little booklets. They they cost, I think, like 18 or $20 each. It's Arium Create and Arium Discover. And they are basically toolkits for building your own RPG world and rpg system and it's super easy half the fun i mean maybe even more is building out these worlds is a damn delight 
you kind of make your own sandbox and then you go play in them. And I have really liked his system before Wizards of the Coast um, took a giant dump all over the <laughs> D&D community. But I think his system is even more valuable and interesting now in light of recent events. And like, yeah, there's a lot of other systems out there that are worth using. Pathfinder's awesome. But there is something really delightful about sitting down with your gaming group, going through his system, creating your own world and your own rules and your own conflict, and then making your characters and then going and playing in it. It's super cool. It's affordable. He's working on new tools, I think, for it. Just a really thoughtful, clever game designer, really game tool designer at this point. I, I don't even know how to properly describe what he has done, but it's so cool. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm i a big fan. That's cool. Have you been playing with it for very long? Like, uh... So me and PG played with it a year or two ago, we actually did a live stream where we built a world together. And then recently at PAX Unplugged, I met up with Will and we had lunch together. And then I bought copies of his books. And uh, yeah, so we've now just started to like dabble and explore in it. So like, I'm not going to claim I'm an expert. I have not logged a ton of hours with it, but it offers an interesting balance of freedom and constraint. It offers a lot of tools to help you kind of like figure out what you want. But yeah, just dreaming up this world collaboratively and then inhabiting it is a treat that I've never really had before. That is really cool. I love the sound of that. And because like, you know, I, I do my actual play podcast. And one of the things I had talked about for a while before we started was wanting to do something where we do a bunch of world building. And that would be like our episode zero, where we don't even talk about our characters. Like we're just talking about like the world and what happened in it and what's happening and different Check aspects out of it. Arium Create. It will give you like a guidebook to doing that effectively and comfortably. I think nice. that was the thing that was really interesting to me was like, I'm all about creative making of, of things and dreaming up stuff, but not everyone I've sat down with is. And a lot, especially people who feel very self-conscious or like they're not creative. It does a good job of kind of making an environment where they can feel comfortable throwing out ideas. And also it does a good job of establishing limits of what, you're not allowed to do what does not happen in this world, which is also important. That is really cool. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds fascinating. Obvious. Well, I mean, it's not too late for me really to even implement it late game, right? Like, or no. mid game. So uh, you can also just create a new continent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Travel to a new place. <laughs> I have that set up already. Yeah. Like I've talked about that in the podcast of like, yeah, there's adjacent countries that, abide by their own laws so yeah just just make up new places that's true right. and that's what's really cool about it is you can blend arium with any other system you want it okay. doesn't care you know you can go and make your marvel rpg in there if you want to do it you can go and take 
elements of Dungeons and Dragons and elements of, you know, something else and mash them together if you want. Like, you know, especially because you're not selling any of it. No one cares. You know, you just make what you want to make in this and play with what you want to play with. Yeah. Everyone can be penguins. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. I'll have to. Yeah. Arium, right? Arium. A-R-I-U-M. And it's create and discover. And the creator is Will Munn. M-U-N-N. Perfect. Cool. Uh, And that's very, you know, tabletop. That's the uh, tabletop gaming board game adjacent. That's what I was trying to say. Words. Yeah, I'm not all puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I always, you know, like when we talk uh, and we're messaging and stuff, sometimes I forget like, oh yeah, you're playing board games too. Of course, like you're not 100% escape yep. rooms. It, every, despite how much we talk about that, it always I'm, surprises me when you drop board games or other I'm games. Just a general nerd. Yeah, yes, <laughs> which is perfect. That's why we're friends. <laughs> uh, oh, you, uh, oh, you know what? This is, uh, I kind of, I got to hear a little bit about it, but you, at PAX Unplugged, you were, uh, you ran a panel. I ran a panel. Yeah, I moderated a panel of uh, tabletop puzzle experience makers, a lot of tabletop escape roomy and adjacent things. The panel was um, titled Games You Can Only Play Once, What Puzzles Bring to the Table. We had some phenomenal panelists and we had a really interesting discussion about one-time play games Uh, because all of these creators, it was interesting, they all get hassled by people from the board game community when they're like, oh, you know, because puzzle games get kind of lumped in as legacy games amongst people who don't like legacy games or want replay. So we had a really deep conversation there about that. And, you know, the main point that I, I ended up making to the audience was like, I, I get really agitated by board game players who are sitting on hundreds of games and then have the gall to go and get angry at a creator for making a game that you can only play once it's like look man you've got 400 games in your basement don't go and act like you are replaying all of those games all the time stop gaslighting me bro yeah, that's literally where my mind was going. I was like, don't look at my shelf of shame here. The games I've never even touched once. Like, Same, same. And like, I, I say that I don't have judgment for having a large board game collection. Oh, and I don't have judgment for not playing all of the games you own. I am certainly guilty of both of these things. And I think it's fine. You know, as yeah. long as you're spending your money responsibly and not harming your family through your spending habits, like... I have no moral judgment on this, but like acting as if board games need to be min maxed for replayability at all times. It's like, come on, man, if you, you know, unless, you know, like I get hassled by my aunt regularly for all of the different games that we play and all of the money we spend on games. And she's sort of just like, everything I need to play is in a deck of cards. And like she, (laughs) to her credit, like, you know, she, she 
walks that walk. You know, she plays a lot of a lot of card games and she plays a lot of mahjong and there are ways to min-max for replayability and a deck of cards is probably not probably it is the best way to go and do that. But like not everything has to be that. And it kills me when people are like backing thousands of dollars of kickstarters mostly for pretty plastic that they're never going to play with but then they're going to go and get on a puzzle creators case for making a game that is beautiful and you can only play once and by the way if you haven't played the light in the mist by rita orlov of post curious play that game it's spectacular it's such a good puzzle game it's a tarot deck i love it uh, i had well it'll come out in the future but somebody that uh was on, will be on i guess was on podcasting schedules huh it's weird yep. to say stuff <laughs> I, I get it i feel your pain they were raving about the light in the mist so uh and you had talked about it with me like back when it was still crowdfunding and i kind of regret not getting it because you can still get it you yeah, get it from oh, yeah. post curious's website it is so worth it the deck of cards is it's a custom tarot deck the art is done by another puzzle designer and artist named Jack Fallow. They are super talented. And Rita, I think, is probably the strongest puzzle designer in the tabletop space. Oh, um, wow. And she does a phenomenal job of storytelling. She's just super thoughtful and deep into her craft. I, I, I hold her in very high regard. So That's anything awesome. she's made, strongly recommend. But Light in the Mist is the easiest way into her work. Cool. Yeah. And I hear, I heard some people even just buy it just because of the artwork and the beautiful tarot deck. And they're like, I don't own any tarot decks. This is the only one I will ever own, but it's beautiful. Yeah, you can. I, you know what? I'm thinking the person who may have been on the show and suggested it may have been me. I think in your uh, end of year episode, I think it was my call in. Uh, I think it was, I think it was me who had suggested it. Well, yeah, you did back then. Yes. Okay. There's another person. There's, there's another, another person, another person. Yeah. yeah that's what made it ring ah. with me because when they brought it up, I was like, Oh, David talks about this. Like, I, uh, so yeah. I'm such a fan of her work. You can't, can't say enough good things about it <laughs> definitely gonna have to check that out but yeah like with the one play thing it's just did we talk about this where you know like if you go out to dinner and a movie you might spend like 50 100 bucks whatever it is you know depending on what you're doing for a night of fun and this is no different except yeah. probably even cheaper yeah it's I think that there are one-time play games, you know, some of the unlock games, especially some of the exit games, some of these mass market puzzle games. Some of them are great. Some of them are not great. Some of them feel like junk food and like, you know, you don't need to play them. And I get why, like I play them and I'm like, I didn't need this in my life. But when they're done well, and I think that's sort of anything, when anything is executed well, you know, there are legacy games that are executed well and there are some where you're just like, you know, like for me, it was Betrayal at the House on the Hill legacy where I was just like, I don't want to play any more of this. Um, I thought the first chapter was amazing. And then everything after that, I did not need in my life. Not everything needs to be perfect, but let people perfect their craft. There are better 
you know, we're, we're as a community, as a board game community, we are better for letting these niches grow and embracing them and exploring them and seeing what the best they have to offer every few years is. And, you know, I think that there are genres that you might not like as a teen, but then you'll like as you get older. And there are genres where like, you know, when you first dabble in them, they're a little bit green and they're rough around the edges. And, you know, people haven't figured out how to make them work quite right. You give them some time and you give these creators the space to like experiment and not just like poo-poo their their passion and their corner of the world, they will at some point make something spectacular. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that's perfectly put like, you know, the first deck build, I don't know what the first deck building game out there like really, really is. You know, everybody goes to Dominion, everybody goes to different things, but technically it's going to be Magic the Gathering. Okay. Yeah, that's because drafting was born out of the Magic community. Dominion might be the first game that productized that in a vacuum. Yeah. But I wonder, though, if there's like maybe there were unsuccessful ones that we've never heard of, you know, that maybe led to that development of like, here's Dominion, you know, like and and then Dominion, yeah. right? Like if you compare Dominion to more modern deck building games you might yeah, be it like, feels really rudimentary so yeah like yeah dominion the first time i played it probably like i don't know 15 years ago or something like that i was like this is so cool and then like yeah. and then i played ascension and i was like this is so much better and <laughs> you know and over the years you go and you start playing more and more and people have taken the deck building concept into some crazy directions where you don't even necessarily feel like you're playing a deck builder anymore, which is sort of how um, Aeon's End feels where I'm like, I'm playing a deck builder, but I don't really feel like I'm playing a deck builder, but I'm playing a deck builder. Yeah. I didn't even drop back to Aeon's End because I, uh, like I, forgot it was a deck builder like when i think about playing it it doesn't feel like it yeah so and that's sort of how i feel about um like light in the mist you're playing a tabletop escape room in some ways but i don't think you'll feel like you're playing a tabletop escape room you're playing something different it feels really different look at that that was unintentional elegance there yeah that was cool Woohoo. Uh, <laughs> oh, do you want to nerd out a little bit about stuff outside of board games or game game stuff? Oh, um, outside of game stuff, I have been increasingly obsessed with the video essay format. <laughs> I have been spending a lot of time on YouTube exploring video essays of all sorts of different stripes from different creators. Rasputin in uh, video games is fantastic. Economics explained. There are, you know, CGP Grey, who's sort of a classic in this space. I've been diving deep down the rabbit hole in video game. In not video game. In, I've been diving deep down the rabbit hole in video essays. I think I want to start creating video essays. 
Whoa. Okay. I could see you doing that because you have that like very analytical approach of and deep diving into things. And yeah, like that would be cool. I'm, I really want to make some weird video essays exploring unexpected topics. Would you? Okay. Yeah. I, I was about to ask what kind of thing. It sounds like just anything, anything that interests you and that we could get weird. It'd probably be anything that interests me. I will probably ground it in puzzles, escape rooms and adjacent spaces because that's where my audience lives. I'm hoping if I if I if I actually go and pull the trigger on this, I'm hoping to get a little weird. I want to get a little bit weirder than I have. Nice. Let's get weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that'd be cool i i think i watched one so zoe who you played its game uh yes yes yes. persuasion uh and so they had talked about how they love video essays and sent me i think one to watch and i kind of watched it and i was like this is interesting but like i don't know that's it feels so smart to me man (laughs) i just (laughs) i feel like a real dummy whenever i watch them but it's such a fascinating like thing that is possible and uh yeah like it's it's cool i would i would watch you do it i appreciate it it's sort of at this like confluence uh, like this is just this it's, it's at this intersection of things that i love like i love learning i love teaching i love communicating and they're sort of like about that like how can you effectively communicate stuff it was like I was, as a kid, loved learning and hated school, which was an interesting little paradox. And I feel like if YouTube was around when I was a kid, I would have just been in heaven. I would have just been like absorbing stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I I just, I kind of want to feed back into that ecosystem a little bit. I wonder... So YouTube, I think, started when I was a senior in high Mm -hmm. school. That is so weird to think because it's such a like staple to life, I think, for youth and adults and everybody in between, you know, like, yeah, it's so weird. Uh, But like, I wonder if I when I was a kid, if I had access to YouTube, what kind of knowledge would i have because i like i remember in high school researching things right it was Mm -hmm. like i pretty much wrote like to nerd out i would do all the research on something that interested me and pretty much write my own little essay just for myself nobody else would ever read it you know like but it was just me collecting information all into one place and now like the internet's much bigger youtube's there like i could just go and like listen to other people and and not have to like, I, I would still be compiling that uh, information, but it's just like a fascinating thing of of the growth and potential for society. I don't know, I'm getting lost. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like before I got really into YouTube video essays, I would go and find myself traveling down Wikipedia rabbit holes <laughs> where, you know, I'd look up a band And then I would realize that, you know, I'd look up, you know, the keyboardist and realize, oh, they're in this other band. And then I would go and look up that. And then I would, you know, find, oh, they play this weird musical instrument. Let me go and look up that. I didn't know they played that, you know. So then I end up, you know, 
20 space, you know, 20 clicks away from where I started. And I'm learning about the history of some company that manufactures this particular esoteric instrument. And <laughs> like, you know, like this, this is, you know, the chaos that I end up in. And yeah. But yeah, I, I really, I just, I find, I find the world endlessly fascinating. And I love being able to like pull all of the stuff that I've found back into something and share that with other people. That's, yeah. Do it, do it, man, do it. I might, I might, <laughs> I need to find more time. <laughs> I know, yeah, do it. Come on, what have you got going on? A podcast, a website? <laughs> convention a regular job yeah <laughs> everything you do yeah i don't even know how you have time to talk to me <laughs> i'll always make time to talk to you oh Riley. thanks <laughs> no yeah like man you uh that's the thing though like as you get older and stuff and and you have the access to all of these things to be able to build out hobbies and learn new things and explore like what you enjoy it's it's such a fascinating growth in human development i think of potential yeah like just because i like board games now maybe in 10 years i'll be like yeah but what's really cool is cup stacking you know like i don't know you know like (laughs) who knows where what my hobbies will evolve into and my interests and i mean that's the thing is i just you know i i'm always open to something new entering my life and a lot of it I just kind of like, you know, I flirt with and then it, you know, I, I take a little bit out of it and it passes. But, you know, some of it sticks and some of it stays and a lot of it just gets folded into other things as lessons. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very well put because I know that my wife is probably like I know when she, we've talked about this uh, early on in the board gaming, like when I started getting more and more board gaming, she thought like, oh, You'll love this for a little bit, and then I'm sure you'll get bored and move on. It's like, no, I haven't. You know, like because I was kind of into board games before we met, but really got into them after. I think the things that stick are the things that where you find your tribe, yeah. and I think that you found your tribe in board games. And I would venture to guess that if all of the games disappeared, the friends that you have made in this would still persist in your life. And that's sort of, you know, the way a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people who are active in the escape room community don't play that often, but they like other escape room people. And I play a lot less than I used to. You know, we used to play like 300 games a year and we don't do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore, but I do enjoy playing the games, especially the really great ones. And I love the people. And it's similar with board games. Uh, it's it's where your tribe lives. Yeah, that again, perfectly put, man. You uh, you nailed it because <laughs> that really is it, right? Like because of Twitter, being able to interact with people and connect with people uh, on there and in person with board games, like it mm-hmm. it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I found a place. I've talked about this before. I think of in high school, I had my brother buy and like we'd go and look at anime or other nerd stuff. And I was always so like, 
but that's not cool. You know, like, mm-hmm. and so I would give him my money, he would go and he would buy it. And I would like wait outside for him or wait over, like looking at that's other things. Funny. It's like, he's buying you like <laughs> cigarettes or porn or something <laughs> know, like that. Right. <laughs> that's what it honestly felt like to me. Like I had such like closeted, like shame about being nerdy about even video games back then. Like, even sometimes with video games, it wasn't as like I talked to a high school friend the other day and he was like, yeah, I played this and that in high school. And I was like, dude, we were like really, really close and never <laughs> talked about video games, never played video games together because it was like kind of a shame back then. Kind of a like I nerdy thing. Cannot relate to this at all. I have <sighs> lucky been I, I have been a nerd since. I had cognitive thought. I had a lot of health problems. I was an indoor kid through and through. I was not good at sports. I was not even really capable of being good at sports. I was tiny. This was the one thing I was good at. The one thing I was better than other people at. The one place where like I felt capable and confident. And you know, it was in initially video games and then later on board games that was sort of where like the space that i lived it's weird because as all of this stuff has become increasingly mainstream a lot of this like you know like when i was a kid star wars not cool marvel and comic books really 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 not cool dungeons and dragons not both simultaneously not cool and also you know catching flack from religious sects like all of the stuff that i was really into when i was a child and was ostracized for have all come around to be mainstream in a remarkable way that I am simultaneously really happy for people about because I don't think it deserved it. And then at the same time, sort of feel a little hipsterish, where I'm like, you know, <laughs> you didn't have to suffer to like this. You didn't you didn't have to put up with all of the the nonsense and all of the condescension and you know adults looking at you like you know you were you, like 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 this was like a weird immature thing and your peers looking at you like, you know, this is just weird. Why is this person so odd? I'm happy that there is a lot less of that in the world, but it also, I don't know. There's a broken part of me that feels like people nowadays don't have to suffer to enjoy this stuff and it devalues it in some way which is my problem not theirs yeah and i'm aware of it (laughs) (laughs) totally your problem no 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 but i understand that like i i feel that same way about like you know marvel things and like the reason i hid those nerding things like i nerded out my entire life on those things Mm -hmm. video like earliest memories are playing the nintendo you know like yeah uh, just loving that kind of stuff and getting bullied and picked on right like those were the things that made me go and like okay yeah if i don't show those things if i don't talk about those things then maybe i won't be as picked on Uh, Mm -hmm. sad very but like there's also a part of me 
so I, I get the hipster thing and I get the like, um, you know, I'm excited for them, but it's also envious. Like I am so I wish almost that I could be a kid now again when it's so acceptable to be a nerd. I I'm with you. I mean, for me, I learned Magic the Gathering in summer camp from the other two kids in my camp group who were just as if not nerdier than me we were at a sports camp we did not fit in at all everyone cringed when we got up at bat or a ball landed somewhere near us we were you know i was not okay at this summer camp i was not happy about it i was miserable i hated summer it was finding these friends and learning to play this game. And, you know, we'd play it on the bus and we'd play it at lunch and we'd play it if there was some downtime. And it brought joy to me in an environment that mostly just brought me shame. Hmm. And that was how I found kind of my tribe for the first time. It was how I found enjoyment in an environment where there wasn't any and it it was what also helped me get really comfortable with the fact that like i wasn't going to fit in these people were never going to accept me and that's okay yeah that's cool like i think i wonder if did you have siblings i had a younger brother who was athletic okay Yeah, so that was me. My older brother and sister were both athletic, volleyball, basketball teams. And then I had a, I have an Irish twin Mm -hmm. that's 10 and a half months younger than me. And then a brother that's a couple of years younger. And so like us, us younger three would get to nerd out about stuff. And we're very into the same type of stuff. Like we played magic a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. We loved magic. You know, that was such a highlight. But then I think I didn't necessarily make those same friends because I had that like at home. Yep. And so I won. It's such an interesting thing, like how I had, how I adapted around that and that I wish again, like, yeah, I wish I would have let that fly a little more, you know, like had I had someone in my grade that was into the same thing that maybe I would have like found my tribe way earlier type of deal. Yeah. It's funny. You know, if you don't have to, then you probably won't. I, I It never occurred to me that like I could even be kind of closeted about my affinity for these things. <laughs> it, like there was just never, it, there was never an option and it was never, it was never even a thought that crossed my mind because I was so into it all long before I had like any teenage or tween angst about how people perceived me. So like, I was on this path and it wasn't really, you know, the way that social structures work in, you know, schools. It wasn't like I could just like hop off of it and suddenly be cool. You know, my parents (laughs) would have to move to a new town for me to go and do that. And even if they did, I didn't know how to be cool. My brother has this incredible, ineffable coolness about him that uh, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand where it comes from because there's no one in my family who is like him. <laughs> I know I'm there's like no one on the planet who's like him. My brother professionally 
Um, he designs gold and jewel encrusted grills for your teeth. Oh my gosh. Mostly for NFL players. You should check out his uh, Instagram, Cook a Tea Grills. His Instagram will blow your mind. That is so wild. That is crazy. <laughs> and, and that's Grills, G R I L L Z. I was going to say it has to be a Z, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> even within our like families, right? Like of the differences and part of that place. Cause yeah, my youngest brother, he ended up getting less nerdy too, because he got into sports and playing basketball on teams and other sports too. So, um, yeah, yeah I never got friends. there. Very popular <laughs> with the ladies and stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Here's me over here, you know, like just kind of squeaking by. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's All funny. Right. Anyways, sorry, we've, we've, this is a long one and I'm cool with that. (laughs) I wouldn't normally do this in a nerding out one, but because of you, uh, ridiculous theme is brought to this show because you had, you had me bring it back. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did make you do that sort of at gunpoint, bring it back or else. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, I got one. Okay. If you got one, I, I. Do you have one? I do have one. You can go first okay. if you want. Okay. It'll All give right. me time to think a little more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so tabletop puzzle game based off of a thing that really was happening circa 1890. Back in the day, classified ads used to be in newspapers used to be a way that people actually communicated. It was a way that people it was a very affordable way to send correspondences to people, lovers, friends, whatever. People used to, especially people who were communicating with lovers or having affairs or things like that, used to create their own encryption methods. So you would see in the classified section, just encrypted text, just gibberish. And there were people whose hobby it was to decrypt these things for funsies. And then what they would end up doing is they would post messages to the person that had that whose whose code they had broken using their cipher. I would love to make a game based off of that where you just have all of these like Maybe it's like a subscription game where you're just getting all of the, you know, these these like classified sections and you're getting all of these different stories going on of maybe maybe there's some espionage happening. Maybe there's some, you know, tawdry affairs happening. And it's just sort of like this world that if you can figure out how to unlock it, you'll get some really interesting stories. I Love that so much. And as you're saying it, right, I'm thinking of all these different like ways to implement it and or have it. I, that seems like it has to be like a subscription type thing, though, or a, or like a one time experience, because I was thinking of like maybe you're at a table, right? And you have your secret partner somewhere on the tape at the table. Everybody's got their own partners and they have to communicate with each other through however, like the cards tell them and and that. Everybody will pull their stuff in the middle, their cards in the middle and have like their little hidden languages that people have to look for. And then the other players can like try and throw people off if they can figure out what those yeah. ones are. I don't know. 
sort of in like the decrypto range of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thinking like diving deep into the rabbit hole of real, just straight up code breaking. And if you yeah. can't figure out how to crack the code, you don't get to hear the story. That is, I think that's cool. That's fun. Do it. No, I just, <laughs> somebody do that. Maybe one day. Yeah. Uh, so mine, I realize is probably way more, uh, it's problematic. It's just straight up problematic, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> and I'm sorry, like apologies, but it's drawing from my own experiences. Why? Of Okay. It'll be social deduction. Everybody has their roles and then they have their hidden roles of something that they have to keep closeted throughout mm. the game. So that's the hard part, right? Is like interesting. I mean, you, you can do that without touching upon things that are real. You can use yeah. kind of some amount of artifice to make it about that without it being about the real things that people are hiding. Yeah, it could simply just be like, you're a stockbroker and you collect magazines. You know, like mm -hmm. it could be as mundane as that. Uh, or you could put it in like a high school setting of like, you're a cheerleader, but you also love video games, you know, like. And then there's just one player who's like, you know, you're a high school gym teacher, but you also murdered a guy back in 76. <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah yeah like oh my gosh to play into that i was thinking of set collection and so like <laughs> you might be doing like drafting and then all of a sudden in your draft there's like a severed finger and like what no <laughs> <laughs> collecting the trophies from your victims no, oh my gosh <laughs> oh no <laughs> i ruined everything that was great no that you made it better because <laughs> yeah, everybody's got like their innocent little hobbies and then it's like maybe not every game but every once in a while somebody gets dealt the serial killer card <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's yeah that's wonderful or i mean that's even just a great game on its own of like hidden roles i mean that's kind of werewolf but even taking it like a little deeper of <laughs> your you have certain objectives you're trying to do secretly and everybody's trying to do those and Oh man. Uh, I, I think there's potential in like again back to that games you can only play once thing like making a game like this a hidden roles game where no one is familiar with with the deck and what the options are you only ever play it one time I I feel like there's something that potentially magical in that idea I yeah I agree that makes me think of sometimes like I want that with movies where mm -hmm. your trailer is literally just be like would just be hey it's a spider-man movie you're gonna watch it you know like or just so you want to go back to the like late 90s you want to go back to like the blair witch and the matrix where the ad campaigns were just like all about getting you hyped but you had no idea what you were hyped for yeah yeah and then exactly. you go into the theater and either your mind is blown like the matrix or you're kind of let down by the blair witch <laughs> exactly yeah like let us go in with no expectations or false I, false expectations is also kind of a hard thing to do, but it could be good. Just yeah, I I just don't think that that is especially recreatable. I mean, escape rooms yeah. flirt with it, but um, 
you know, you can still get a pretty decent idea of what an escape room is. The higher end ones, you kind of don't necessarily know what you're going in for, you know, unless someone spoils it for you. But there are there is there are corners of the escape room world where I would say that you can really be truly surprised by what you're experiencing. Yeah. See, okay, to tie that in, right? Like if you could have a board game, right? Like of the same thing where Uwe Rosenberg is established. People are going to buy his game, whatever the game is. So just put out a plain white box, call <laughs> it the Uwe Rosenberg game. You get it, you play it and experience it. And it's just like, whoa, yeah. what was that? You know, like, just like Rob Davio legacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like in parentheses, just shut up and buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have literally no idea what's going on until you like experience it. I mean, it'd be cool. I don't know. It it's one of those things that you just I wonder how risk. many board game creators can get away with that. Yeah. I've thought about that type of thing with like can you create something with almost no information and get it hyped enough to where people will buy into it to where you can afford to actually make it? And it just, it would have to be a passion project. You'd have to be successful. I imagine. Uh, yeah. In one way or another to even do it. Or, you know, you take an existing IP, you start the game in one place, you know, it's risk legacy two. But at the end of the first game, you nuke the world and then it just turns into a weird post-apocalyptic journey for each player. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. no idea what's coming after that. You just you're like, wait, we just we just tear up the board? <laughs> yeah, completely tear up the board, <laughs> tear up this rule book and <laughs> Yeah. Right. Open up the box underneath this where there will be a new rule book and a new map. <laughs> <laughs> that plays 100% different or yeah yeah no yeah. similarity similarities at all oh yeah. man just like risk meets dr strange love yeah <laughs> wonderful this whole this has been really fun we have to tie it up at some point and stop recording yes. uh <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and plug all that you all that you got what you got reality escape pod season five is coming in april We've got four seasons of shows. You can listen to wherever you listen to podcasts. Put a lot of love into it. If you enjoy talking about games and making things, that's what the show is. Beyond that, we are running the Reality Escape Convention this August virtually. There'll be a free tier. If you're interested, you can learn more about that at realityescapecon.com. Sign up for updates. We'll be having some wonderful speakers and a wonderful community gathering to learn about making immersive games. And then we post daily content at roomescapeartist.com. So if you're interested in escape rooms, we're your place. We're your people. And if you're ever looking for recommendations in a particular part of the world, feel free to hit us up on the contact page. We like helping people find great games in their neighborhoods. Thank you so much for coming on. That was Thank you Great. so much for having me. It's a lovely, you know, brisk two-hour chat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We, and we'll probably chat for a little while after. We chatted for a while before. It, this yep. is how we do. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. And seriously, anybody who has listened this deep into this episode, if you haven't given Riley five stars on 
Spotify or iTunes, like I, I, you're, you're really slacking at this point. You're like two hours into an episode. You're clearly into what this guy produces. Give the man five stars. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you totally recognize the like importance of of those ratings I, and just the feeling it gives you. I I truly do. Yeah, write him some nice words too. He's a really good guy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great review. Uh, follow me at Riled Nerd and listen to Friend and Foe if you don't mind immaturely mature actual play podcasts. That's all I got. That was like the shortest. You set me up to do that so shortly, which is so nice. <laughs> I don't think I have anything going on when this comes out. So there shouldn't be any other plugs. But yeah, until next time, keep nerding out. And then have you shared a fond memory at the end of an episode? I don't know if I was doing that last time you were on. Uh, I think I think I was the first time that you had uh, that you had me tell an escape room uh, memory. Oh, I did. Be- oh, that's what brought it up. Oh my gosh. Yes. You are like the core to so much of my show. Gosh. <laughs> because I loved, yeah, at the end of your show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Silly. Yes. Okay. Well, if you have a fond memory related to board gaming that you want to share. <laughs> I'll tell a funny escape room story. This happened recently. We were traveling. We went to this escape room that was of questionable quality and before we arrived, we got a phone call from the owner saying, hey, you have to follow these explicit instructions to park your car. There's going to be a car show going on in our parking lot. We kind of blew this off. We didn't pay a lot of attention because we were like, we've parked our car all over the place and we've never had a problem. We show up. It is in a old mall parking lot. This mall is like dying. And the parking lot is packed with low riders and people it's this huge show and we cannot figure out where to park our car so we just park it wherever we can and we go for a wander figuring we'll go find this company easily we did not we walked all over the place we ended up inside of the mall which was just this like decaying shell of a mall that had its heyday in the 80s and they haven't changed the soundtrack since the 80s The company strangely had told us that we should use the bathroom before arrival because they don't like it when people use the bathroom before the games. So we figure, well, we're in the mall. Let's go find a bathroom. There are no bathrooms to be found. But eventually we find some back by like where the original offices for the mall were. And as we're approaching out of the women's room, we hear someone yell what sounded to me like fire and turned out she she yelled spider. I poke my head in to make sure that she's okay. And there's just like, there's a big spider, but then there's also like a river of water flowing through this bathroom. And I'm like, okay, you're not dying in a fire. So I'm going to, you know, back out of the women's room and go to the men's room. And all of the urinals are wrapped in plastic and say out of order. And then there are three stalls and the first two are covered floor to ceiling in fecal matter and the third one has a giant river of urine running through it and i'm just like well the decision is easy (laughs) while we're in here one of our teammates goes and calls the company and gets adequate instructions to the place so we end up walking back out of the mall through the low rider show where we just look very out of place we eventually find this this 
company and it's like seven o'clock when we go in we come back out a little over an hour later after having played a very weird game and everything is gone all of the people all of the cars everything is gone there's just like one guy wandering the parking lot picking up garbage and i'm half expecting him to be like car show there hasn't been a car show here in 30 years (laughs) 